Just how luxury can a chocolate brand get? It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you solve your marketing problems and grow your e-commerce business. Cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and advice from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello and welcome. It's excellent to have you tuning in to listen. Um, this episode's guest is based in Australia. So I've got a little question for our Australian listeners before we get started. So bear with me here. We have recently seen a huge surge in listeners from Australia. So massive thank you to all of you who've, who've started listening in the last couple of months. It's brilliant to have you here. Welcome. But uh, what I cannot for the life of me work out is why we're having a lot more listeners in Australia. Um, it's starting to bug me now. I've tried lots of ways of working it out. So if any of you have seen us in Australia being recommended by someone or being uh, you know, covered somewhere, or maybe our ads are just more visible over there, please let me know because it's really bugging me and I would love to find out what has caused this surge in listenership in Australia. Okay, thank you for, for bearing with that, everybody. Now, in this episode, we are exploring why our guests decided to start their brand as a luxury brand and how the story, the content, the product, the why, and the marketing methods all have to align to make it possible. Now, whether or not you're going luxury, um, you're going to find a plethora of tips about content marketing, story, partnerships, and more that any brand can use. So please don't switch off if you're not luxury because. Um, you're going to get a lot out of this one too. We are starting this episode by getting deep into the origin story of the brand because without understanding that first, the more nuts and bolts e-commerce info just isn't going to make as much sense. So for starters, sit back and enjoy the story straight after we check out the sponsors. Getting an online business off the ground is not easy. So if you find yourself working late, tackling a to-do list that's a mile long with your fifth cup of coffee by your side, remember, great email doesn't have to be complicated. That's what Klaviyo is for. It's the email and SMS platform built to help e-commerce brands earn more money by creating genuine customer relationships. Once you set up a free Klaviyo account, you can start sending beautiful branded messages in minutes, thanks to drag and drop design templates and built-in guidance. And with e-commerce specific recommendations and insights, you can keep growing your business as you go. Get started with a free account at klaviyo.com forward slash masterplan. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash masterplan. And now to introduce today's special guest. James Lecomte is the CEO at Toac Chocolate, a luxury chocolate brand where sharing the origin story is everything. Founded in 2013 with their first product available in 2014, they are a Shopify merchant and are growing D2C at 50% year on year. Hello, James. Hi, Chloe. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's excellent to have you here. Um, how did you yourself get into e-commerce? I guess I've been working in the space for quite a while, well before I actually started my journey into chocolate. Uh, back in 1999, I, I set up a, a business with a, a business partner uh, down here in, in Australia, and we were uh, helping traditional retail stores get online. Uh, so that business, um, Amblique, it's a, it's a web agency that still operates today. 
in Australia. And uh, I think ever since then, I was really infected, I guess, with the um, opportunity that technology brings to business. And uh, I guess I've combined that with my experience as well in the development space, um, international development, and, and trying to bring together technology and, and social and environmental impact. So you, like many of us listening to this podcast, you experienced e-commerce, totally got the bug, um, but you were agency side. So how come, how did you end up being brand side, client side? Um, I guess that comes down to a desire to, to, to be part of something, to be part of growing a business. And while working in an agency, is a business itself obviously you you often see other people growing their businesses and, and people being passionate about the brand that, that you're helping them to grow from an agency perspective and i think it was the idea of wanting to be part of building a brand myself that that really um, attracted me to the idea of you know that side of the fence if you like yeah it's uh i'm always fascinated what leads people to to move different sides of the fence because they're they're both having done both they're both very exciting but appeal to different anyway that's not what we're here to talk about we are here to talk about toac so how how did the brand come about because toac kind of the, the bigger project began with rainforest conservation and then drifted into chocolate didn't it yeah that's right so the the brand story really starts in Ecuador, um, you know, the brand is an Ecuadorian brand. And uh, our, our origin story uh, goes back to one of our co-founders, Jerry Toth. He started a rainforest conservation project in coastal Ecuador. It's still today an active um, NGO and, and um, conservation project. The Hama Coaque Reserve is um, is the site and it's a it's a really fascinating site because if you know if we think about you know the, the amazon in south america for example and and um it was in the news a lot uh, over the last couple of years in terms of the amount of destruction uh, human related um deforestation and destruction i believe we've lost somewhere around uh, or, or around 30% of the Amazon has been affected um, by human-related deforestation. In coastal Ecuador, where the Hamacuaca Reserve is, we've lost about 98% of the original rainforest, uh, which, which is pretty incredible. And, you know, Ecuador itself is a mega-diverse country, and so it's a really, it's a really important ecosystem and, and very fragile. And, um, yeah, it was, you know, that was the site where, where Jerry first came in touch with cacao trees and, and, and that became the, the inspiration for Toac. So he found the, because often we hear that the reason the rainforests are destroyed is because of farming, but from a going to protect the rainforest, he then became or started getting into farming. So I, I guess there is a way that the two can cohabit. Yeah, th there is. And, and actually, we've been working as a business with, um, with the conservation NGO uh, that, that looks after this particular part of the rainforest called Third Millennium Alliance or TMA. And so TMA and TOAC have been working together for the last couple of years on a regenerative cacao project. What's interesting is that 
when TMA first started, they took, I guess, what you would consider the more traditional conservation route in terms of buying um, parcels of land and then just setting it aside for conservation purposes. Uh, but they found that that was complicated and problematic because the surrounding communities saw that in a way as an NGO coming in and just shutting them off from what was traditionally land that they you know, you know lived off and and and, and uh, sort of used the resources on and so they've shifted the focus to being something that's much more i guess uh, holistic in the sense of looking at how previous cattle grazing or timber clearing land can be regenerated in a way that supports both the diversity of the the ecosystem but also the the um the livelihoods of the community surrounding that and so TOAC actually plays quite an interesting and important role there because we're able to pay between three to eight times the fair trade prices for the cacao that we use which is you know thanks in part to our unique business model but what that means is that we're able to offer these uh, farmers around the, the nature reserve were able to offer them really high quality cacao genetic material. They plant that cacao alongside other uh, income gener generating crops, uh, as well as uh, local tree and plant species. And what that does is the mixed crop uh, approach and the regenerative approach brings back a lot of um, animal and uh, you know natural plant life, as well as providing the farmers a, um, a really diverse and sustainable livelihood or, or income. And so they're able to, you know, they'll be able to sell that cacao to Toak at, at a really premium price, as well as generating income from other crops uh, and supporting the, the regeneration of the soil and um, the surrounding ecosystem. I love that. That's a, such a clearly such a good thing to be doing. And I guess it, it, as we're finding, you know, throughout the interviews we're doing now on this show, often by getting the business model right, you're able to have a far more positive impact. So e-commerce becomes something of a force for good because it's able to generate the profit that enables the right payments to be made to the right people to cause the right things to happen right down on the ground, literally in this case, on the ground. Um, James, you mentioned that you're paying growers three to, to nine, I think it was, times the fair trade price. So this, well, this isn't the rock bottom price. This is what's already been been decided to be a fair trade price. So that's a massive increase on what you arguably could pay for the cacao. As you've just outlined, it's worth paying it for all the additional benefits and the rest of it. You've clearly got a different uh, business model to the average chocolate business model in order to be able to afford three to eight times the, the you know the base product cost. So before we get fully into the business model, in the intro, I said luxury chocolate brand, which rather underplays what you do with your chocolate. So could you tell us a little bit about the product, please? Yeah, of course. Um, well, we, we're really fortunate to work with a very special variety of cacao. It, it's probably worth sharing a, a little bit of a brief background. So Ecuador plays a really important role in the history of cacao. Uh, there was a, a study published in the Nature uh, 
academic journal uh, about three years ago, which identified Ecuador as being the uh, earliest site of the first domestication of cacao in the world, some 5,300 years ago, which predates the um, oldest evidence in Central America around the, the, the domestic use of cacao. So essentially, we can say that uh, as far as we know, Ecuador is the birthplace of cacao. I think that that's really important for us in the sense of heritage um, and, and history as a, as a luxury brand, especially when you think about the traditional concept of a luxury brand and how much they leverage um, tradition and history. Then more recently, around the late 1800s and early 1900s, Ecuador was the world's largest producer of cacao, and it became famed for a variety called Nacional. That variety um, was the most sought after or coveted variety of cacao by European chocolatiers and chocolate makers, and they used to send their people to Ecuador to source it because of the very floral aroma and, and complex flavor profile. And uh, on, on the back of that, Ecuador went through a massive boom. Uh, literally, the central bank was established to support the, the international trade around cacao. And a lot of infrastructure was built in the country. Uh, they talk about it being the pepa de oro or the golden bean. And um, unfortunately, like a lot of booms that came to a crashing halt. There was a bust around uh, 1916 when a disease came to Ecuador called Witch's Broom. It's a fungal disease that uh, affected this particular variety called Nacional. And uh, basically over the course of the next um, 100 years, this variety went into um, decline, both because of uh, you know being affected by the disease and also because farmers were clearing the trees to um, yeah, to, to, I guess, rescue the industry, if you like. And so they brought in introduced varieties and started playing with, with hybrid varieties of cacao. So all of that to say that by the turn of the 21st century, Nacional cacao, pure Nacional cacao, was um, considered extinct by, by most experts in the industry. And it was um, in, in 2013 that, you know, my colleagues first uh got in, in, you know, into, into their minds, I guess, the idea of setting up a chocolate brand and, and became fascinated by this legendary story of Nacional Cacao. And one of our business partners is a fourth generation Ecuadorian cacao farmer. He took us to a farm where we met with a group of 13 smallholder farmers. They've been farming for, for four or five generations farming cacao. And um, they introduced us to a number of the trees on the property, and they kind of treat them almost like children in the sense that they know, you know, who planted them and how long they've been around for. Uh, and it became clear that these trees were planted before. A lot of them were planted before the disease came to Ecuador. And so uh, basically we, we, we took DNA testing. Uh, we conducted DNA testing and found that uh, out of a sample of uh, 46 trees, nine of them were genetically pure national. And so for yeah. us, um, that was a little bit like our Indiana Jones moment in, uh, <laughs> in, in the world of cacao. Um, and that's, I guess, if you like, the, the story of, of where we started and, and, and how we knew we were working with a really special raw material. And, and, and that led us to take a number of decisions such as pursuing a luxury brand strategy, initially for some pragmatic reasons, because we had such little supply of the raw material. 
that we couldn't compete with traditional chocolate brands on on price or volume. But the more we looked into it, we you know we we became fascinated by how um, cacao historically, you know, in, in Latin America, was considered something very noble and precious by um, ancient cultures. Also, when it arrived in Europe, you know, uh, several hundred years ago, it was actually considered the ultimate luxury. It was um, only available to the royalties and the noble class. And, you know, I'm sure as everyone, all the listeners know, since more recent times, it's become a commodity and, 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 and very cheap. And then one of the things we wanted to do was to elevate chocolate onto the level, um, the same level as the finest wines and whiskies of the world. Um, so that's a little bit of, I guess, um, how we started. And, and then since then, we've really tried to look at chocolate in terms of, I guess, in, in the one sense, doing as little to it as possible, because we, we really think that nature is the ultimate form of luxury. It is the most complex thing that we have uh, and the most beautiful thing that we have. And so we, we try to do as little to it as possible, but we also try to unpack that complexity and share it with, um, with our community. I mean, we'll all be familiar with, you know, brands that have started, I suppose, the pathway of taking chocolate from the Cadbury's and the Hershey's world upper level to a more premium space. You've taken it up to, I guess, the Louis Vuitton level. I would say, you know, we're going to do like a comparison. You've, you've gone way up there on the luxury front because mm. I think um, your price point is way above what anyone else's is, right? Correct. Um, yeah, and it, and it is interesting. Um, I guess with a lot of businesses, when you when you look at them, it, you know, you you make certain assumptions. In in our case, um, it's actually our most expensive products, uh, which retail for four hundred and fifty US for a fifty gram bar of chocolate that generate the most revenue on a per product or per SKU level. Um, but then we've also built out the product portfolio. And so we have product that starts at 22 US dollars. And that is also one of the biggest selling SKUs on a per, per unit level. And so it's interesting within the profile of the business, um, you know, what contributes to the growth, I guess. Um, we see that there's actually a contribution at both ends of the, the price extremes. And so, so guys listening. Yes, this is very, very nice chocolate. This we really we're not just using luxury as a byword here. This truly is luxury. And as James has taken us through, you can see all those building blocks that come in to both mean it has to be luxury because you've got the scarcity and you've got, you know, the needing to do it right from the ground up. And you've got that the amazing story, the amazing history, heritage, etc. Uh the the DNA exploration as well, which not justifies, but builds that that luxury element into it all. Um, James, how many of you are there now in the business? What does the team look like at TOAC? Yeah, so we, our office or you know our, our main site is based in Quito, Ecuador. Uh, in the facility there, we have usually about fifteen on the team, and then we have. Um, about four of us that work remotely more on the um, sales, marketing, distribution side of the business, but certainly the the bulk of the team are focused on the production of the chocolate itself. 
clearly there's quite a lot of overhead. We've talked about, you know, the, the work that goes into and the scarcity of this, but which justifies, you know, why the price is as it, as it is. Um, how, though, do you persuade consumers to consider chocolate like they would a very good malt whiskey or a, um, you know, or a, a vintage bottle of wine when even other luxury, in inverted commas, chocolate brands are maybe 10% of the price of your most expensive line? How, how do you do that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you, you touched on part of the answer, which I think is helping people to understand the analogy between uh, fine chocolate and, for example, fine wine. Actually, the, the cacao bean itself has somewhere around 700 individual flavor compounds, and that's between two to three times more complex than the wine grape. And so if you think about the incredible diversity we have in the wine industry in terms of not only price points, but different uh, grape varietals, uh, you know, different blends, different origins that, that transmit terroir. You know, we, we have this incredibly diverse uh, world, and then that's backed up by a culture and a lot of education. Uh, and, and that's what really, you know, and the history and the heritage, and that's what supports a diverse industry, if you like, in terms of, you know, wine that can cost, you know, $5 a bottle for something that you just might enjoy on a, you know, uh, on a midweek meal, let's say at home versus, uh, you know, a very special bottle of wine that might set you back several hundred uh, dollars a bottle or, or, or even more. And um, so I think part of the answer is that analogy and helping people to understand that, uh, you know, chocolate and cacao is even more complex, you know, if you like, in terms of the uh, raw material and, and, and the, the, the processing of that raw material into a, into a um, fine food. And then, you know, there's also the importance of, I think, creating a connection with the consumer um, and, and doing that through storytelling. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, there's, um, there, there's, I guess there's a lot of layers to, to how we do it and we haven't necessarily uh, cracked all of the, <laughs> the answers. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you're both, the, the existing luxury brands have got it a bit easier because a lot of that education is understood. When you see fine vintage wine, you go, oh, right, okay, that's for, mm -hmm. you know, you under, you, you, most people understand that education side of it and they decide whether they want to get educated further into understanding more, but they know there's an education path to go on, which they don't so much with the chocolate. So it, yeah, it's a, it's a nutty old problem. What, um, in, in a practical sense, I'm assuming that means great content marketing, great email marketing. Um, the chances of someone coming to the website for the first time and checking out is presumably quite unlikely. So there's a, there's quite a bit of a selling period pre-purchase. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, we we do invest a lot in content and we do a lot of that, you know, really pretty much all of that in-house. We're actually working at the moment on something that we're excited about from the content perspective, which is, um, I guess, if you think about a traditional luxury brand and we're, we're very much a bootstrapped <laughs> luxury brand, but if you think about your, your bigger, uh, well-known luxury brands, a lot of them will have, um, some sort of publication, um, you know, if you think about top airlines or, or car 
brands, they'll have, um, you know, monthly or quarterly publications that support that sort of lifestyle element around the brand. We're working at the moment on a long-form newsletter that is going to be completely separate to what we do in terms of our uh, traditional email marketing around campaigns and email automations and the like. And this will be much less about, I guess, uh, prompting a sale and more about creating a emotional creating an emotional connection to the brand and you know that'll be providing content that revolves around the universe of toac and the values that that we uh, represent as a brand and so that's a that's a new initiative that we're working on and pretty excited about when it comes to content but yeah there's you know all all sorts of content i think that it, it's tough as a small brand because there's no limit to the amount of content that that you could potentially create and, and put out there, and there always seems to be a new platform to need to, uh, you know, find a, a slightly nuanced form of content for. But yeah, we're you know we're we're often working on you know visual content, um, you know, whether that's photography or video, as well as you know uh, written content, and it's a it's a never ending part of uh, the journey. I often find, I don't know if you find this as well, that uh, one of the challenges being a content creator is giving each piece of content the space to breathe. Mm. You know, it's like, I always feel we, we put out, um, you know, in, in, a, in the business, we put out two podcasts a week, one on this show, one on our other show. And I often, I often think, you know, God, this podcast is worth four posts on LinkedIn and I can only yeah. give it one, <laughs> um, you know, so, oh, maybe I should slow down the production schedule. So we give it more time to breathe. And, you know, and I often see, see companies, especially in the SaaS space producing, you know, a white paper on something and they only give it a month and you're like, yeah, but that might not be relevant to someone this month. That might, and it, it's that, that's almost, I think the hardest thing in content. Once you've worked out what you need to create and you've, you've got it down as the bite-sized pieces is how you then how much effort you spend promoting each piece of content or letting it breathe is that something you, you guys wonder about yeah uh, and and very recently in fact we we've been talking in the team about how we really try to maximize the i guess the runway of each piece of content that we produce and you know and how we can um yeah, in a way, sort of repurpose it or, or slice it up and, and sort of drip feed some of that content so that we create, um, yeah, as much, I guess, uh, to be resourceful with our content and to give it the exposure that it that it deserves, because often there, there is a lot of um, time and thought put into content. And like you said, if you're kind of rushing through a bit like on a treadmill, then um, you don't really give um, your content the, the airtime that it sometimes deserves. Um, and another thing that we've been looking at as well is how, I guess, you know, by being thoughtful about the, the type of content we're producing, how we can create connections between the content so that whether it's um, just intuitive or, or whether it's explicit for the, for the, for the community that there is a, connection um, or that there is a flow to the content and so yeah there there's um, there's a huge opportunity I guess to um, to plan and be strategic about you know how you create and publish your content and and we're certainly still um, trying to fine-tune that and get that right 
e-commerce master plan is supported by some of the greatest companies in the e-commerce sector. Here's a reminder of who they are. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly $500 billion by 2025. Recharge is the leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale their subscription offerings. Recharge powers the growth for over 15,000 subscription merchants, turning one-time transactions into long-term customer relationships. Whether you're a direct-to-consumer business or an omnichannel brand, subscriptions strengthen your brand's relationship with your customers and make it easy for consumers to make repeat purchases, bringing you predictable revenue, increased customer loyalty and higher average order values. Turn transactions into relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. You can get started today with the subscription payment solution trusted by over 50 million subscribers worldwide by heading over to rechargepayments.com forward slash masterplan. At the start of this episode, I mentioned Klaviyo. Well, here's an app that integrates with Klaviyo to level up your e-commerce store. Hear from Alexandria Collins from Princess Polly Boutique on how Gorgeous did just that for her. I am Alexandria Collins, Director of Customer Experience for Princess Polly. I'm focused on our strategy and innovation in the CX department here at Princess Polly. I have a quote and I always tell our CX leaders that customer experience is the heart of an organization and we pump the blood and deliver the oxygen to the vital organs in the business to help them thrive and grow stronger. The Gorgeous platform allows our agents a seamless place to just do it all. We are really there for the customer every step of the way if they want. Our customers expect quality and efficiency where they are. So the real question is, how do you get quality and efficiency across every single platform? And then once you have it, how do you maintain it? And I believe that with the Gorgeous platform, we can do that. If you're interested in learning more about Gorgeous, you can go to gorgeous.com and start a free trial today. It's time for the top tips round. Okay, I love this section because it gives me and our listeners some really quick ideas for taking our businesses to the next level. So James, are you ready for the top tips? I am. Okay, the book top tip. If everyone listening to this podcast agreed to take Friday off and read a book to make their business better, which book would you recommend? Well, we're at the point at the moment where we're grappling with uh, how to implement a bit of structure and process to the business to help us uh, continue to grow. And so I've really enjoyed Scaling Up by Vern Harnish. Excellent. Like Liking that one, um, which I think is interesting because I think often people assume luxury is just all about the content stuff that we were just talking about, but mm-hmm. actually you've still got to do everything else there is in a business. You don't just get there to is. sit around thinking big thoughts. No, <laughs> <You know>? no. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> um, okay. The traffic top tip, which marketing method do you either prize above all others or think doesn't get the press it deserves? I think for us, um, one of the things that's worked really well has been brand collaborations. And so to give a specific example, uh, late last year around uh, the gifting season, we launched a partnership with Rob Report, the um, publication, where we did a co-branded product and they um, marketed that to their uh, community or readership. and, and, And we had a form of profit share around that. And that i guess to us was just an opportunity to align with a bigger more recognized brand that spoke to our uh, target audience and so i think that 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 was a really effective um 
you know, way to drive traffic to, to our platforms and uh, we'll look to repeat that in the future. I love that you just said that because I'm such a fan of, I've always been such a fan of brands collaborating with other brands where the values and the customer base match in creative ways. And I think this year, especially, it's an essential marketing method. It takes a little bit more legwork to set up, but man, does it, does. it work. Yeah. Um, okay. The tool top tip, maybe a collaboration tool, a social media plugin, a phone app, or just a way of working. Is there a cool little tool you use that makes you and your team more efficient from day to day? So I think I'm known within our team as the person who has an app for everything. Um, so <laughs> you're asking the right person. Uh, but in terms of something that I've been really enjoying using, there's an app called AccuFlow, which is a um, calendar and task management and um, I guess time management tool. And so what's really nice about it is that it's integrated uh, with a lot of the existing tools we use, such as you know Gmail or Superhuman, um, as well as Slack and uh, other uh, to-do tasks management tools like Todoist. And basically any of those things you can um, trigger as a to-do and then you can consolidate them in AccuFlow and then basically organize your day so that you are managing your time by a calendar, which a lot of people I think um, believe is a, is a very effective way of organizing your priorities and your time and getting stuff done. So I've been enjoying using that. Oh, nice. I might have to check that one out. Um, you mentioned one there as well called Superhuman that I've never come across. What's Superhuman? Um, it's got a fancy name, but it's uh, an email platform. Uh, it's one of those, I guess, tools that kind of um, tries to give you a few hacks or, or um, little ways of mastering your email. Um, so, yeah, it's, a, it's another cool Cool. cool. My, I just went, my, my little, my little excitable brain went, Oh, new tool. Not heard of that one. Need to know more. Um, so thank you. Thank you for enlightening us on that one as well. Uh, then the growth top tip. If you met someone today who's focused on growing their e-commerce business from 100 orders per month to 1000, what would be your number one tip for them? I think it would be to perhaps take a step back and to think about the different stages of acquisition and retention and to develop a, a really practical plan to make some steady improvements, you know, according to the resources or, or budget you have. And so, you know, by acquisition, I mean driving traffic, for example, and, and optimizing for conversion. So driving traffic might be, um, you know, things that work for us, uh, uh, you know, PR, digital or traditional and, you know, targeting things like the, the listicles, like the top 10, um, I don't know, most expensive foods that you have to try, for example. Um, then optimizing con for conversion could be, um, you know, uh, setting up a really effective landing page or uh, taking another look at your um, purchase uh, experience and making sure that it's really clean and, and, and enjoyable uh, shopping experience. Uh, and then also thinking about retention. So how do you incentivize repeat? Um, purchase because I think we, you know, we all know that it's uh, more cost-effective to keep your existing clients than it is to um, continually pay to bring in new customers. So yeah, just I guess a practical look at those things would be my tip. 
I would totally agree with you. Well, look, James, that's been been an excellent set of advice. Now, before we say goodbye, could you please let the listeners know where they can find you and your business on the web and social media, please? I would love to. So our website is toakchocolate, T-O-A-K, chocolate.com. And that's also our handle on pretty much all of the platforms. Lovely. Thank you, James. Um, thank you for coming on and explaining your story and you know, talking about how how we go about, or how if we wanted to emulate you, we would go about bringing all those elements in to create that luxury brand to enable us to do to do all the good things that the TOAC and the associated groups are doing. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It has been fascinating and a pleasure to chat to you. So thanks for being here. Thanks, Chloe. What a fascinating story. And um, another great example like our most recent episode before this one with Elvis and Cressy about building a luxury brand because it gives you the scope, the profit, the platform on which to hit those wider aims of the business. In this case, regenerating um, the Ecuadorian rainforest and treating the farmers fairly as well. I also thought the content piece that uh, that, that uh, James was getting into there and his tip on brand collaboration were super, super powerful and ones that can be used in any business, large or small. They're not luxury specific. You can adapt those to your business. Now, to get your hands on the notes from today's show, including those top tips and links to what we've mentioned, then head over to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast or use our new special direct to episode links. Yes, you can just put ecmp.info forward slash episode number into the URL bar and you'll go straight to the correct episode page. And yes, we set it up for every single episode since 2015. Once you get to the website, you can also add yourself to our email list so you don't miss out on any of the other things I share to help you improve your business. Now, I also need to say a massive thank you to Greg from Omnisend for putting us in touch with James. And if you want to explore more of the nuts and bolts of how James and his team are using email marketing to very positively impact their sales, some phenomenal numbers in this case study, you will find the link to the in-depth case study and another interview with James in the show notes. Just go to ecmp.info forward slash episode number to find that. And if you liked this episode... Another recommendation for you, make sure you check out episode 392. It's the one just before this one with Cressy from Elvis and Cressy, which is also about building a luxury brand in order to maximize the good you do. And told you there were lots of recommendations coming up. If you want to explore that partnership marketing idea, the brand collaboration they did with the magazine, if you want to explore that for your business, then please do check out our latest masterclass series on sister podcast, Keep Optimizing, which is all about shining a light on different ways your brand can partner with other brands in order to grow your sales. Well, that's it for recommendations in this outro. You'll be glad to know. Um, thank you so much for tuning into this and every episode of the e-commerce master plan podcast. I bring you a new interview every single week because I want to inspire and help e-commerce business owners like you to succeed and thrive with their business, including progressing along the all important path to net zero. 
So if you know someone this show can help, please tell them to listen to the e-commerce master plan podcast. I hope you have a brilliant week and don't forget to keep optimizing. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com slash podcast. If you're marketing an e-commerce brand, you already know that data changes everything. More data means more power. And if your email or SMS tools can't handle all that data, they're probably holding you back. That's where Klaviyo comes in. Its top-notch personalization and segmentation help you send the right message at the right time, guided by unlimited real-time data from your online store and tech stack. Request a demo at klaviyo.com forward slash masterplan. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash masterplan.